Good morning. I am the other Pastor Daniel. My name is Daniel. So a lot of you know me as Dinko from the Artesia campus. And what a wonderful pleasure to bring the Word of God to you guys here at this Fullerton campus. We are continuing in our Why series. And today the question we're addressing is, why sing? Why sing? Why do we sing? Uh, and our passage is Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. You guys can turn there now. We also have it projected for you overhead. Psalm 92. Starting from verse 1, I'll read this for us. And let's give our attention and reverence, for this is God's holy word. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. This is God's word. Can I lead us in a quick word of prayer? Let's ask the Lord for his help as we go into his word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to gather as brothers, as sisters, as your people. Lord, we're thankful that we gather knowing that you are a God who loves us, who cherishes us, who gives us your son. And Lord, as we look now into your word and as we even ask this question of why do we sing, Lord, we pray for the ministry and work of your Holy Spirit to be moving, working, stirring our affections as we look further into your word this morning. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, the question we're trying to answer today is, why do we sing? Why do we sing? If you look back all the way from the Old Testament in the Bible, you see God's people, the worship of God uh, in the temple worship of the Israelites. They always sung in their worship to God. We see in the New Testament, of course, in the church, there's always singing. They're called to sing. Uh, Even in um, the earliest accounts outside of the Bible on Christian worship, whenever they talk about what the Christians did, it always included singing. And of course, it's something we do here every Sunday, no matter what service you're at, even for our uh, service for our teachers in the morning or before this service, we even make, we've made sure since the beginning to include singing as part of that worship service. And the Bible gives us some strong reasons for why we sing. It gives us some strong reasons why we do it. It's not something we do uh, just for fun, right? although sometimes music can definitely be fun. It's not something we do just for fun, just for the heck of it. Uh, it's not something we do casually. It's certainly not the walk-in music. Uh, for those who are running late, maybe some of you, right? And it, it is an integral part of our worship. The, the Bible actually commands us to sing praises to God. It, it actually commands us. Even in the book of Psalms alone, over 50 times we are told to sing praises to God. And of course, that should be reason enough. You know, that, that should be reason enough to say, why sing? God commanded us to, and we are God's people. Amen, right? But, of course, the Bible doesn't stop there. And so we're not going to stop there either. We're going to explore together. In Psalm 92, as well as in other passages of Scripture, why do we do it? Why do we sing? Why are we called to sing in our worship to God? The first reason we see is that singing is a great gift from God. 
Singing and music, for that matter, is, is a great gift from God. In the first verse of our passage in Psalm 92, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It can also be translated to give praise to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And that phrase, it is good, I can't help but think about creation. When God first created the heavens and the earth, when God first created human beings, and he says, it is good, it is good, this is good. He saw that it was good. And of course, he made us with this good, great gift of music, that human beings naturally have this gift of music in their hearts. And I don't think you have to be a Christian or even religious at all to, to have a sense of the fact that there is something very special and important about music. I, don't, I personally don't know of any culture that doesn't value music. Whether you're old or young, even little children, they value song and music. You may recall a, a certain viral video that was going around. It was such a powerful video where it takes place in a nursing home. And this group comes to that nursing home where there are many elderly people who are suffering from Alzheimer's. And their quality of life naturally is not very good. And uh, they're very expressionless. They've lost their memories. Perhaps some of them have lost many of their loved ones. Some of them may have been left alone, abandoned. And this group comes to that nursing home and they put these nice headphones on these elderly people who are suffering from Alzheimer's and they play music, music from their past, music from when they were young. And it's such an amazing sight, these expressionless faces. When they hear that music, suddenly they light up. Suddenly you see these huge smiles on their faces that people say they haven't smiled like that in so many years, perhaps even in decades. And this music brings them to life. I think it's a testament to the power of music. I'm sure you've heard so many different quotes and sayings about the universality of music, the beauty of music, the power of music, that music is the language of the soul. Music is certainly powerful. It is, a, it is a great gift from God. It has a great, we see even in the scriptures, music has this great ability to soothe the soul. Famously in 1 Samuel 16, King Saul, when he's not in a good place, the music of David soothes him. It calms him. It refreshes him. Perhaps for you, when you're driving in traffic, when you're feeling that road rage creeping, Certain music soothes you. It certainly does for me. I'll confess to you, it's not always Christian music. I wish it was, but sometimes other music really soothes me too. And music has a special power to stir emotions and feelings in a way that sometimes it's difficult for words alone to do. And the theologian Jonathan Edwards, knowing this reality about the great gift of music, specifically regarding when it comes to singing praise to God, here's what he says. He says, no other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame. This is how we were made, that these things, music, have a tendency to move our affections. Jonathan Edwards' point is that we were made with this uh, just innate tendency where music happens to stir and move our affections. 
Throughout the Psalms, of course, we see that music is associated with feeling. These praises to God as they sing, as they're called to sing, it's associated with emotion and feeling in the heart. And we see that even in our passage in Psalm 92. We see words like, uh, I will sing with gladness. I will sing for joy. I will sing with thanksgiving. Can't, we can't ignore that music does this special thing in our hearts. And of course, much like prayer, you may have heard this before, much like prayer, singing to God and singing our praises to God, it takes what we have in our heads, the things that we learn in the Bible and through good theology, it takes what we have in our heads and it brings it down into our hearts. And we need to engage both. We need to engage both the heart and the, the, heart and the mind, the head and the heart. We see that great combo in other parts of Scripture as well. In 1 Corinthians 14, 15, the Apostle Paul says, I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind. Jesus, of course, said it himself that God is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit, in the attitudes and feelings of our hearts, and in truth. We need that great combo. And singing brings both and engages both mind and heart together in our worship of God. That's the beauty of music. That's the great gift of music. And that's actually specifically why the music of the church needs to be singing. The priority is singing. Right? That's why that the praise team, as skillful and awesomely that, as they play, they don't just come up here and play instruments, play you a musical, and we just sit and listen and, and just feel it. Right? We need those words. We need to sing the truths of who God is and what he's done. And then we need to let the mute, as we sing them, let it affect our hearts and our affections and stir and move us. And, you know, some of us, depending on how we're wired, perhaps some of us, depending on our background, some of us are a little bit better at focusing on the mind. Some of us are a little better at focusing on the heart, on the spirit. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think in our uh, church background specifically, whether you consider us as Reformed or Presbyterian, perhaps we focus a little too much on the mind and we need to work a little bit harder at the feeling at the heart. I remember uh, I've spoken at several retreats where the praise leader, with good intentions of course, you know, the opening set of, of this retreat, the praise leader comes up and says, all right guys, it's not about feelings. It's not about feelings. It's not about feelings. Let's not, let's not worry too much about our feelings. Let's just praise God. And I get the mentality behind it. We don't want to be driven and ruled by our feelings. Feelings can lead us astray oftentimes. But I almost felt like it's kind of like a quenching of the spirit where we have these, a lot of times, especially with youth students, they're like eager. They're ready to praise God. They're here for this retreat. And then the praise leader basically says, don't feel. Don't feel. It's not about feelings. And we need to balance that idea, right? Yes, of course, we need to be ruled and led by the truth. We need to be ruled and led not by our feelings, of course. But that's, that, if we just stop there, we're missing something, right? We need to say, yes, be ruled and led by the truth. And with, as you engage with the truth, as you engage your minds, let it also affect and engage your hearts. You got to feel it too. It's not just about feelings, but feelings are part of who we are as human beings, whether you consider yourself a feeler or not. We all have feelings. We all have hearts, and God cares about your hearts. And that's why he gives us this great gift of music. 
It is truly a wonderful gift to stir our affections and feelings. And I imagine there are at least a few or some in our congregations who might say, well, well, pastor, I, I don't sing during praise time because I don't feel it. Are oh, you talking about how important feelings are? Well, I don't feel it, so that's why I don't sing during praise time. And maybe if you feel that way, I don't sing because I don't feel it. Maybe you have the order twisted. Maybe you, you flipped it. You might think, I don't sing because I don't feel it. But maybe you don't feel it because you don't sing. Maybe you don't feel it because you're not engaging and utilizing this great gift that God has given you. Maybe you're, you don't feel your affections being stirred and moved. Even though you know these things are true, you don't feel it because you are not taking, making use of this gift that God has given you. And when, you, when we look at it like that, when we look at it like, I don't feel because I don't sing it, so I need to sing to engage my heart, to engage my emotions. When you look at it like that, singing actually even becomes like a spiritual discipline. It becomes a spiritual exercise. Singing becomes something through which you actually grow. This is how you grow in your love and affections and walk with Christ by actually singing it. It's not just something we do on the side. It's a part of your discipleship, actually. It's that important and God has given it to us as a gift that important. That's the number one, the first reason why we sing. We sing because it is a great gift from God to engage both mind and heart. That's how you grow, actually. The second reason we sing, why sing, is that singing is a community blessing. Singing is a community blessing. And in verse 2 of our text in Psalm 92, it says that we sing praises to declare the steadfast love of God in the morning and his faithfulness by night. It's, it uses this big word, declare. We declare these truths. We declare these things about who God is and what he's done. And it raises the question, who are we declaring these things to? To whom do we declare these things? And I admit, this passage in Psalm 92, it's not completely clear. You, we, we don't, it's a little bit vague from this passage alone. We could be declaring these things to a lot of different people. First of all, we can be declaring these truths to God himself. We can be declaring these realities about who God is and what he's done. To back, we declare it back to God. Now, oftentimes, praise, the singing of praise is, is simply prayers to music, Right? Or perhaps we're declaring to the world, we're declaring to the nations. We see phrases like this in the Psalms, shout to the earth, right? It's this idea of declare these praises to all the earth, not just to the people right next to you. Sing to the nations. Prayer can actually, I mean, praise, singing of praise can actually even be a form of evangelism. I've even heard a, a direct testimony from someone saying that they actually entered the church for the first time because they heard the songs and they heard it from outside and so they stepped into that church and they eventually became a Christian. But the, the, the audience, the, the, the person to whom you declare that I want to focus specifically on for this point is, this, is what we see in the Bible that we, when we sing our praises, we're actually singing to each other. 
Yes, we sing to, to God uh, in prayer, musical prayer. Yes, we sing to the nations in our evangelism and witness. But we are singing also to each other. Ephesians 5, 18 to 19 says this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I think that's profound. You address one another with your songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. In Colossians 3.16, we see something very similar where the Apostle Paul says that we even teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing together is a community blessing. It's a way that you bless and encourage and lift up and strengthen and spur on one another. Did you know that? It means that during our times of song and praise, it's not just, it's not just me and Jesus time where I close my eyes, tune everybody out. It's just about, it's about me and Jesus right now. It's not. It's about us and Jesus. And when you sing, sing to be heard so that the, per- the brother, the sister, the neighbor to your left or right can be encouraged to say, I don't stand alone as I sing these truths, as I declare who God is and what he's done. We're doing this together and we hear those voices come together and it's a beautiful sound because we're God's people together singing his praise, not individuals who happen to be in the same room singing his praise. It's a community blessing. I remember one of my professors in seminary, he once said that the singing of praise in the church is the lay ministry of the word. The lay ministry of the word. You know, ordained pastors and and pastors in training, we're entrusted with the ministry of the word. You know, we preach and we preach the word, we preach the gospel. Uh, That's kind of the task that's been given to us. But what a blessing to consider that in our time of singing, You guys get to be preachers. You guys get to be heralds and declarers of these truths about God. And we declare it to one another. It's a wonderful blessing. We see Paul and Silas in Acts 16 utilizing song in this way when they're put in prison. How do they encourage each other? How do they strengthen each other when they're suffering in prison? They sing hymns. And yes, they're singing to God, but you know they're singing to each other too. And this aspect of music and singing, that it is a community blessing, perhaps is the most countercultural aspect of singing for the church. It's countercultural because when you and I think about music in this day and age, in our culture, in our society, for us, music is often simply just entertainment. So often, music is just about entertainment. Music is something you just listen to. Music is something you just watch someone do. It's a spectator activity so often in our culture and really in many cultures in this world. Music is so often something driven by an an industry rather than driven by community and conviction. But not so in the church. The church isn't like that. That's not how music is in the church. In the church, it's not, singing is not just reserved for the incredibly talented. In the church and in the scriptures, we see everyone is called to sing. Of course, the person with the mic, the person leading us in song, yes, they need to have a certain level of ability, absolutely, and we, we care about the excellence of that music. But for those in the congregation, what this means is that 
well, pastor, I don't sing because I can't sing. I don't sing because I'm not a good singer. That is not a valid reason to not sing. We are all called to do it. And let me tell you a story. People laughed when I shared this, but I don't mean this to joke. I don't mean this to be funny or to even uh, make fun of this person. But I remember a time when I was at a revival. Uh, It was led by this famous music group, famous for a Christian music group that is called Third Day. Anybody remember Third Day? Not really, right? Well, they were one of my favorites. And they were leading praise at that time. And I remember my pastor at the time was right next to me. And it was a very crowded place, so he was like literally right next to me. And as we're singing, our, we're singing our hearts out to, you know, as, we, as we're praising God, I could hear so clearly his voice to my right. And it was so out of key. He was borderline tone deaf. I have to admit, in his defense, Third Day was leading praise at a very high key because they're like professionals, right? So the song was extra high. And I remember thinking, A, yes, this is very out of key. But B, this is a beautiful sound, and I'm not joking. That there was something so beautiful about this man who clearly is not very talented at singing, but singing his heart out, singing loudly, and singing without caring who's listening, and singing praises to our God. It's a wonderful picture of all of us, isn't it, as we come before God in worship, that we all come very imperfect, that we all come broken, that we all come with all sorts of deficiencies, that we all come with sin, we come with broken voices, and yet God delights and receives those praises. It was a wonderful, beautiful sound, a wonderful, beautiful picture of what praise is, and he was blessing me. He was blessing the community around him, even as he sung in not the most beautiful, according to the world standards way. Do you guys remember when Jesus sang in the Bible? In the New Testament, as, uh, you know, you could, someone can correct me later, but as far as I know, there's one time when Jesus sang. There's one instance. There's two different passages that talk about it uh, in Mark 14, 26 and Matthew 26, 30, but As far as I know, that's where I saw Jesus sing. And can you imagine in our culture now if if someone was talking about the time Jesus sang? You got it, you would wonder, wow, like what did he sound like? What song did he sing? What what you know, what was his style? Was he country? Was he R and B? How good did it sound? You, You would think the disciples would all just be kind of in awe, almost like listening to an angel sing. But here's how it goes down in Mark 14, 26. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. This is the time Jesus sang in the Bible. Mark 14, 26. Matthew 26, 30 also is is an account of the same thing. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's it. They sang together. When they had sung a hymn, including Jesus and his disciples, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives to where Jesus would be betrayed and arrested. And I think this is so significant for us in a culture saturated with music, filled with entertainment value and fanfare. And just it's there for purely our amusement. 
And here we see Jesus, when he sings, there is no fanfare. There's not even any instruments. It's just these men, these brothers singing together, encouraging each other, blessing each other, especially for Jesus and the distress he was feeling in the wake of impending betrayal and arrest. That was the power of that song. That was the power of that time of praise. Nobody was watching Jesus and listening to him, seeing how he would do it. Oh, that was good. That was a good little frill he did. No, they were together. And they sang a hymn together. And then they were able to go out and into the Mount of Olives. It's a community blessing rather than an individual blessing. And if we, if we consider that, if we consider that the second reason why we sing is that it's a community blessing, it also allows us to even disagree about music sometimes. You know, a lot of controversies in the church often revolve around music. I think that too is a testament to just how important music is to us. You know, I think of times where long, in the, in the ancient church, there were uh, discussions of whether music should involve instruments or no instruments. There were times when people discussed and, and disagreed on whether there should be only psalms being sung or if hymns were okay too. And then, of course, you get into the modern era, oh, these, these things called praise songs, well, you know, are we okay with that, right? I remember in our own church uh, growing up, there was a big debate about whether or not you could play the drums in praise. Or is, are our drums Satan's instrument? Electric guitar, is that, is that Satan's instrument? And of course, <laughs> ultimately we realized, no, all these instruments can be used for the glory of God. You know, there's different debates and controversies about what songs can we sing? Are these songs okay? Is it okay to sing this song? Is it okay to sing reckless love, right? Can we sing about the reckless love of God? And I remember, I was surprised. I didn't even know there was a controversy about that. I just like that song. I think, I think it's a great, great gospel-centered song. And these debates, these discussions, often they're very good. Because we should be thinking very clearly and, and thinking a lot about what we should be doing in worship. Because worship to God is no casual matter. But even as we have these debates and discussions and even disagreements... When we recognize singing is a community blessing. This is not just for me. It's not just about my preferences. It's not just about the songs I like. It's not just about the styles that I like. Well, I don't like the style of this song. I like the 80s style, the old style. Or, oh, this, or perhaps the praise leader is an older guy and he leads a very old school set. And you're like, oh, these songs are so old. When we recognize it's a community blessing, we can actually be a little more open and forgiving <laughs> We can actually be humble even as we disagree on some things because we recognize it's not just about me. It's not just about my preferences. It's not just about my flavor. But this is for the community. This is an opportunity to bless my brothers and sisters in song through singing praise to God. So the first reason we sing is because it's a great gift from God to stir our affections as we engage and, and are led by the truth. The second reason we sing is because it's a community blessing regardless of your talent level. And then the third reason for why we sing is singing is a fitting response. Singing is a fitting response. Yes, as I mentioned, we are called, we are commanded to praise God, to sing to him. But the Bible does well to remind us that we have plenty of reason to sing. Singing is a response to what God has done and to who he is. So I know I'm telling a lot of stories about uh, when I was younger. 
today, but I remember there's this one story from our youth group where a certain praise leader was leading praise, a very enthusiastic young man. But the, the youth group at that time, they weren't very enthusiastic. As many young students can be, they were a little bit apathetic. They weren't feeling it. And they were just kind of quiet. They weren't singing along. And the story goes, that praise leader, in the middle of the song, just stops and goes, come on! <laughs> and everyone's just like, whoa. They're like, they're really not going to sing now. <laughs> he just yelled at him. And that, it's a funny story. But I hope that you don't take this sermon as something like that. That this sermon is, or even regardless of this sermon, what we see in the scriptures, when we see the command to sing to our God in praises and in worship, that it's not the Bible just saying, come on, just do it. We have plenty of reason to sing. And if we're honest with ourselves, perhaps sometimes you feel like those youth group students. I know I do sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I'm just not feeling it. Sometimes my heart is harder to engage. Maybe you had a rough week. Maybe you had a rough month. Maybe you fought with your husband or your wife on the way to church. Funny how that always seems to happen, right? Why does it have to happen right before church? And then you step in and then you got to sing praise to God and you're just like, oh, it just feels wrong. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like that, if you feel like sometimes I don't feel it, let me encourage you with this reality. First, you can come honestly to God. You can always come honestly. You don't have to fake it with our Lord. He knows your heart. He sees all. The Psalms are full of honest prayers, honest praises. The Psalms even honestly confess our souls are sometimes not inclined to praise. Sometimes we're not feeling it. That's why we see phrases in the Psalms. This isn't just a song from Matt Redmond. This is from the Bible where we, where we hear the psalmist saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. If that psalmist was just, just naturally always praising God and his heart was always just so easily engaged and he's always feeling it, he wouldn't have to say that. He wouldn't have to say, Hey, soul. Hey, bless the Lord. There's a lot of reasons. As Matt Redmond says, there's 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. So soul, feel it. Soul, engage. The psalmist comes honestly, recognizing, I need to say that to myself sometimes. I'm not always feeling it. You can come honestly. And let me also encourage you, in those moments where you're not quite feeling it, let me encourage you with the fact that when we come together, as God's people, as the church, as brothers, as sisters, you can rest in the fact that when you sing these things, you are affirming these truths. You can rest in the fact that even if I'm not feeling it so much right now, even though I just fought with my wife, even though I'm tired, even though I'm distracted, as I sing these words, I rest in the fact that these words are true. I know that this is true. Even if I'm not feeling it so much, I know it's true, and you can rest in that. Verse 4 of our psalm, Psalm 92, it answers the question for us of why sing. It says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. And let me tell you, the reason for singing, the cause of the singing is not the gladness and the joy. 
That, the gladness and the joy is the byproduct. The cause, the reason to sing is the works of God's hands. And if, that, if the works of God's hands are true, then we still can sing. We can still sing. Focus on what is true. And I, and I promise you, the gladness and joy will come. Maybe it'll take a while, right? Sometimes it takes a while to, to, to warm up. Sometimes our hearts are so cold, it takes a little while. It may not happen instantly. But focus on what is true, that these words are true, and you will feel what a fitting response it is to sing. You don't have to sing these words if you don't think they're true. Now, I would hate for anyone to feel like, well, I don't even know who God is. I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm not sure about what Jesus has done. Please don't feel like we're forcing you to sing. You don't have to sing if you don't, if you don't know that these words are true. Same goes for our confession of faith. If you don't, if you don't believe those words that we're, we're declaring together, please don't feel like you have to say it. But if you know it's true, if you know it's true, then why wouldn't we sing it? Please sing it. And, and I, I guarantee you, in God's good timing, you will feel it. Especially as you hear your brothers and sisters joining you in song and declaring together. It's a fitting response. It's a fitting response. You know, Valentine's Day was a couple days ago, right? Last Thursday. And Priscilla and I, uh, early on in our relationship, maybe even before we got married, uh, we decided that on Valentine's Day, we're uh, not really going to do anything. I'm, I'm very grateful for that, for that uh, agreement. Uh, we're not going to go on some fancy date. We're not going to buy each other gifts. But the one thing we do do is we write a card to each other. And uh, Priscilla, if you know her well, you know she's not exactly the most uh, expressive person. So this is like her one chance throughout the year to really just pour out her heart and let me see it. So like her cards are always double the length of my cards, um, and, I, and I really cherish that. But, you know, Valentine's Day is a day where a lot of, a lot of young people, or not necessarily young people, but a lot of people, perhaps especially young people, they, they take this as an opportunity to muster up these elaborate displays of love, right, these grand romantic gestures. Uh, and, you know, you want to do something really, really, like, uh, Instagrammable, right? Like these big bouquets of flowers, a super nice dinner, just something so thoughtful. Of course, nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Please do that. I don't do it, but please do it. <laughs> and, and sometimes, though, it's not ideal, but sometimes this happens where things like that can be, become quite a burden. I actually stumbled upon a TV show where there's a husband who literally has a mental and physical breakdown because... Uh, Every year he tries to do something, he tries to top the previous year, what he does for Valentine's Day. And there's a certain expectation now of what's going to happen. And, and the, the, the pressure is so hard, he literally cracks. He just can't do it anymore. And then he has to go to the hospital because of Valentine's Day. And it's a, funny, it's a funny story. It's a funny TV show. But I hope that none of us ever feel like when you come to church on a Sunday, you just have to muster up this grand gesture of love to God every Sunday. 
like, like it's Valentine's Day, and it's on you to really just display how much do you love God? Show us how much you love God. I hope it never feels like that for you. I hope it never feels like it's something you have to produce and well up in your own heart out of nowhere. Because when the Bible calls you to worship God and to sing his praises, it's a call to respond. It's always a call to respond. It is God who displays that love. It is God who makes those grand gestures of love. And we're simply called to respond. And we see it throughout the scriptures. We see it where we are called to love God. Yes, of course, love him. But why? Love God because he first loved us. That, that, it's always that response. Even sing to God. Why? Because he first sang to you. Yes, he did. I love Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Sing to him because he first sang to you. What a beautiful picture we see in Zephaniah 3.17 of God's joy and God's gladness and God's singing over you. That joy and that gladness, that song, that is what sent Jesus down to this earth. That joy and gladness, that heart and mind engaged from God is what sent Jesus to live that perfectly righteous life that we fail to live. And it was that song over you that he was singing that led Christ up to that cross to take the punishment that we deserve. And for the sake of joy, for the sake of his joy and his gladness over you, he would rise again to give you new life, to give you a new heart, a new praise-filled heart. That is the work of God's hands. That is that grand display, that grand gesture of love. You never have to produce it. God produced it. You simply are called to respond. Would you respond how could we not respond when we've been given a love like that, when we see a love like that displayed, especially on that cross? As we close, I just want to read you one verse from uh, a very well-known hymn, How Great Thou Art. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Here's how it goes. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. I love that. That Christ didn't just bear your burden, he gladly bore your burden. He gladly went to that cross out of his love. He bled and died to cover you to cover and take away and wash away and forgive your sin. He bled and died to save you. Would that be every reason we have to sing? Would that be why we, res why we respond? Because we have a love like this. Because we have a Lord like this. Because we have a God like this. Let's pray.
Lord, we are grateful that you loved us first, that you sang to us first, that you made that grand gesture of love, and you continue to do so in your faithfulness, in your mercy, in your kindness, in your favor towards sinners. God, I pray that as we continue to dwell on these truths, as we declare them together as your people, that that would be what causes us to sing. That would be what gives us every reason to sing for joy, to sing with gladness. Not because we're mustering it up, but because we're, we're responding to your gospel. Thank you, God, that we don't do this alone. Thank you, you give us these brothers, these sisters who stand by our side as we worship you. Would we, would we be so blessed? Would we be so refreshed? Would our souls be so soothed as we sing these truths of who you are and all that you've done, especially on the cross? Holy Spirit, lead us, move in us, stir in us greater and greater affections for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.